0: flushcarecom slash
1: You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies.
0: For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right.
1: One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Vinu Vijay, the Chief Marketing Officer at H&R Block. On the show today, we talk about his background growing up and his separation, actually, at a pretty early age uh, to go to school in a different country from where his parents were living um, and the impact that that might have had on his life. We also talk about his job at H&R Block and um, working for Jeff Jones, who was a prior CMO and now the CEO of the company. We talk about transformation and the transformation that he's driving and the advice he has for other marketers in the same role. And uh, and we also talk about COVID and the response that H&R Block has had to put in place. So a lot to cover, and I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with Vinu Vijay. Vinu, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, I thought we could start a little bit about about you. i um, curious. I know the last time we talked, and I'd love to learn a little bit more about your background and where you grew up, but I it sounded like you um, went to school in another country without your parents, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about the story.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I did. It's it's interesting when I when I shared that with you the last time we spoke. I, I it was just an offhand comment. I didn't think much of it, and then I realized for many people that might be unusual. I grew up in uh, I was born in India, but I grew up in Indonesia, where my uh, my dad uh, ran a steel business, and I was there really since I was about four years old through my teens. And in Indonesia, at the time where we lived in Surabaya, there was only one English-speaking school that sort of ended at sixth grade. And so uh, at that point, I went to India to a boarding school uh, called Cody, and I was there till uh, till 12th grade in, in India while my parents were in Indonesia.
1: Wow. I mean, that's a formidable year, I guess, or or formidable years, I think is what I'm trying to say. Sixth grade in particular, I'd say sixth through ninth probably is kind of that awkward at stage for at least guys. I don't know. I, it's probably true for women too. But for me, it was, I think seventh and eighth were in particular the odd time. <laughs> but anything you reflect back on, I mean, it just experiences you had, you know, being that, that separated from, from mom and dad, so to speak.
2: It's hard to look back and think of it any differently because that's all I know, and that's what my brother did as well, and that's what he knows. Uh, the only thing that I recall from it in a big way is my my mom was actually the sixth grade social studies teacher in the school in Surabaya, so I was super happy to not have to be her student. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's so that was great. Yeah. But the school itself, it's a very it's an international school. It's got people from all over the world uh, who go to that school. And so it was, uh, it was a great way for me to... Meet with uh, people from everywhere, uh, and really grow up with people from everywhere. And all of us had this commonality that we were in this, you know, isolated school in seven thousand feet up in the uh, in the mountains in South India. And all most of our parents were from all over the place. So in fact, it's you know, I, I, there were a couple of kids in my class who were from the States, and you know, they were my entry and understanding of what the U.S. was all about. And likewise, there were you know, a couple of folks in my class from uh, you know Zambia, and they were the they were my insight into Zambia. And so that's how it went.
1: Wow, yeah, I imagine strong bonds were formed with those folks
2: yeah forward. indeed, for sure, yeah,
1: well, let's talk about the professional side. You are now the chief marketing officer h and r block, and uh what was your path from these uh <laughs> boarding school, if you will, <laughs> to India to right. to now?
2: Well, Alan, I always dreamed of being chief marketing officer. At, no, I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> what was the path? Oh my gosh! Uh, when probably, like for most people, you sort of have this instinct in yourself about what you think you'll be good at and what interests you, and and how others see you, and you sort of lean into that more and more. And that's sort of what happened to me over time. Uh, in school, I was uh, I was a good communicator. I was I was class president. I was just more involved in things that had to do with sort of rallying the troops and getting people doing things together. And so I, when I graduated, I thought my path was uh, actually in advertising and PR, uh, sort of fit nicely with uh, what I had done in school. So I went to Syracuse University in upstate New York. It was my first time to to America, really to the West at all. So did my undergrad there and uh, really learned about the States. I was 17 when I, when I went there and it was a real eye-opener for me because I thought I knew the States because of my two buddies in, in school, but I didn't really know the States because neither did they, frankly, since they were in boarding school in India. <laughs> and so we were, we, were, we were, you know, it was the state, it was the America that we imagined watching television as opposed to the America in real life. And so anyway, we uh, did that uh, after grad school, after doing MBA, I, uh, I joined FedEx, which is a, uh, well, you know, FedEx. Uh, and at the time, FedEx was going through a major shift in its structure. Relational databases had become more uh, available, and FedEx moved to a model- where they essentially moved from product-based operations to a customer-based segment view. So essentially, you have small business, consumer, middle, and then large large consumers. And so each one of these segments, we would manage using database marketing. So I was very fortunate to be one of the early folks into that, and I would pull data lists from old-school uh, files uh, use a d- data dictionary. Back in those days, you'd actually have a dictionary with data names and you would f- leaf through it to figure out what you're actually pulling. Uh, send out uh, direct mail mostly and uh, created a loyalty program there called FedEx Business Bonus, which was their first real entree into the loyalty program world. Very simple model. You know, more you ship, the more you save. And so, I, you know, you construct it and manage it through direct mail. Did that for 7 years and during that time I got my uh, my US uh, green card which gave me more flexibility as well and uh, then joined a colleague of mine from there at Bank of America where uh, did a number of roles there but the biggest uh, most relevant one was managing bankofamerica.com at the time bankofamerica.com was a relatively nascent platform not that many customers using online banking and bill pay and definitely very little in sales online and so that was a transformational moment for me and the team and really Bank of America where Today, it's a dominant position in in online banking usage, in bill pay usage, and in the sales. I think uh, at least when I left, it was over 20% of their sales was happening through the online platform. So that was a huge uh, time in my life, uh, career-wise. And while I was there, several of us got uh, asked to uh, join a company called GMAC, General Motors Acceptance Corp., which had just been acquired by a, uh, a, a hedge fund. And we We uh, went in there and created a a consumer bank out of that, which uh, I I branded called Ally Bank. And uh, Ally Bank then became Ally Auto, Ally Financial. Now it's a great going concern, a fantastic bank. So that was uh, spent a fair bit of time there uh, leading marketing over there. And from there, got recruited to join TD, uh, Toronto Dominion, a fairly uh, large Canadian-based bank that had has a significant presence in the U.S. and uh, I became their CMO and head of corporate communications and and uh, did that for about four years. During that time, uh, tried to do a fintech in that context uh, with the TD, uh, but unfortunately, that fintech uh, we had to shut down. And at that point, I I left and took a little time off and then joined H&R Block.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you've done some amazing stuff. I mean, I didn't realize, I knew you you were at Ally just based on your background um, and some of the bio that I got, but I didn't realize you were there in the forming stages, frankly. Of oh, yeah. The brand and oh, yeah. What it, what it sure. became. That's a, I, I've respected have We used to carry cards.
2: That oh, was fantastic. I would carry cards in my pockets of all the names that we could potentially make this bank. And it was little index cards. I wrote a name on each one. And from time to time, I'd pull it out and read it to my fellow colleagues because you would really react to it differently depending on when you heard it. <laughs> And so we, <laughs> would, we would give it a shot a few times and see what people felt, and ultimately we ended up with Ally, which which turned out to be a terrific uh, way to go.
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great name. It's a great name, especially for for a financial services company. Well, um, I I know you know now your CEO is is Jeff Jones at H and R Block, and and he was a, himself a prior CMO, not at H and R Block, but most people will have. Tracked his career at Target and then a short stint at Uber in a tumultuous time actually, and so I'm just curious if that thought ever entered your mind as you were joining h and r block or in terms of Jeff's background and the fact that he had previously been a marketer himself
2: yeah, I mean, I didn't see it from that lens i mean definitely I definitely saw Jeff as somebody who I thought would be a great leader and and somebody who could take the company into a into a whole new space. But I, I never imagined it or sort of looked at it from the lens of what does it mean to be working for a ex-CMO? Because at the end of the day, he's not the CMO I am. But the way I looked at it, what I really sort of leaned into in terms of what Block has, it's just got enormous impact that it has on so many clients. I mean, we have 21 million clients. That's big. And we deal with them on something that is probably the most important financial moment for many of their lives every year. Refunds can be a material moment for clients. So you already have this very, very significant moment relationship with a lot of people. And you have, in our case, we, we, we're the third largest issue of debit cards. We, we actually provide uh, debit cards to clients as a way to get their money, as well as just as a card. So we have a fair number of financial products associated with the tax event. So we already sort of play a material role in a client's life. But the potential for us in terms of what we can do and what clients really need is just so huge. And that's what I really sort of leaned into when I saw the opportunity. And the team is, uh, I think when, when, when we spoke once earlier, I'd mentioned the most important thing that I looked at when I, when I join a company is not just you know, who I'll work for, but also who I'll work with. And, and the relationships I'll have with my colleagues are far more important than the relationship I'll have with my CEO.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I met Jeff not too far, too too long ago, last year, I guess it was. And he he made similar comments that he is not the CMO anymore. You are, <laughs> so um, I I think he 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 respects the yeah yeah no no. Well, I think I think it's um it's a nice place to be, frankly. Um, to have have somebody in the. CEO position that understands marketing has, understands the ability of it, but also maybe the the nuances, right? That, you know, not everything can be mapped out one for one in terms of impact in certain cases, but knows its importance and has sat in the seat that that's got to be an enviable role for a marketer these days. Because a lot of, historically, I guess, you know, we haven't seen that many CEOs that have come from the marketing track, that typically are finance or ops.
2: True. But I would say, at least in the experience of, I've worked for uh, now a few CEOs, the overwhelming, the thing that connects all of them is that they get it. Like I haven't been, been with a CEO who has said Oh, I don't. I don't get it. Like, I don't understand it. You'll hear this sort of standard, sort of high-level things of, oh, you know, you're wasting 50%. You just don't know what 50%. You know, you hear things like that. But that's more just these general biases that there are things that we don't understand, and those biases are based in some truth. We really don't understand everything in terms of how we're spending our money. But in terms of the importance of a marketer's role in an organization to drive change, to create the brand, and to nurture the brand both internally and externally, the ability to see the problem from a customer lens and be that person at the at the C-suite that's able to narrate the customer lens. Those are things that CEOs value. And that's true regardless of the CEO's background, at least in what I've seen. So I think those are things that are super important and doesn't matter where the CEO background is from. Again, I would say the challenges or questions you tend to get in terms of the effectiveness of marketing, which all have some groundness in truth, tend to be more from the partners than necessarily the marketing leader the ceo and so i think that's that's where the relationships across the organization i think are the most important thing.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. That's great insight too. Well, let's talk about H&R Block because I know your role includes responsibility for financial products. And like we've talked about refunds and tax refunds. Taxes was traditionally how I thought about H&R Block and the types of solutions that you guys provided, but I didn't think about financial products. So maybe you could just update us on what the overview, if you will, of H&R Block, like what what is the span of of the products and solutions that you guys have today?
2: Well, so, so it's like we have 21 million customers who use us. Our primary product is, of course, tax. Uh, we have a, a fair number of those customers that use us uh, directly online. In other words, they go to our uh, hrblock.com, find a piece of our software that they can use to fill out their taxes, and they go ahead and do it. And then there's a sizable population of those that go to our our store, one of our offices, and um, has a one-on-one consult with a with a tax pro and get their taxes done. In both of those scenarios, we provide uh, different levels of uh, additional services that they can get in the financial products realm. So uh, they run the gamut from uh, Refund Advance, uh, which is essentially instead of waiting for your refund to come from the IRS, however long that takes, you can actually get the refund right away. And we provide that as a free service so that you get the refund and you can walk out the door with the refund. And then we uh, we uh, take the proceeds when the IRS sends it in. And uh, we have uh, products called uh, Emerald Advance, which is uh, similar. It's uh, the it's, uh, ability to to uh, get dollars uh, in advance, but it actually starts even earlier than the refund advance period. So you actually haven't filed your taxes yet. You're just, uh, you're in advance of that. Uh, You're identifying that you're someone that we can offer uh, essentially dollars to. We also have uh, the debit card, which is called the Emerald card. The Emerald card is essentially a debit card that works like, many others that are available. But in our scenario, the great advantage is uh, we placed, uh, or you can choose to place the refund advance onto the debit card or the Emerald advance onto the debit card. And then you walk out the door from finishing your taxes and you can start spending money. And we also have, uh, we have have other products, but we we could go (laughs) a long time just on those products. But those are the core financial service products. And we also have some warranty products, uh, like essentially uh, protections for your identity and things like that. So we have a series of products that we offer over the course of the tax event.
1: Awesome. Awesome. I appreciate that because you uh, have listeners in the U.S., but all over the world, actually. And so um, just nice overview of H&R Block is is perfect. I'm curious, given the current tax delays, if you will, in the U.S. of tax deadlines being pushed back, how how chaotic has that been, I guess, on your business? or Or is it pretty easy to make that transition for you guys?
2: Well, it definitely wasn't easy. It hasn't been easy and won't be easy but it's actually a moment of great pride for me and the company normally uh, so we have ten thousand offices around the country and our tax pros um, uh, you know we will have eighty thousand tax pros so this is a very large operation across the country in every in every town and every main street it's a sizable retail operation and obviously that is that was materially affected by by the covid crisis and so the real question became how do we serve our clients how do we serve our employees, our tax professionals, and then how do we serve uh, the company in a way that lives up to our core values. Uh, And we've always said that we're about helping and inspiring confidence in clients and communities everywhere. And if there was ever a moment where we needed to help and inspire confidence, it was now. Right, or is in this moment of crisis. People still needed their refund. It was important. And if you know about the stimulus payment, that was uh, dependent on the IRS having the right information and they get the information from the taxes you file. So if you haven't filed in a while, again, it becomes important that you're able to file. So many, many reasons for us to find ways to serve clients. And so we created something called Digital drop-off, which we did in a matter of a week and a half or so, which was an ability to drop off your documents either physically or digitally, and then allowing the tax pro to complete your taxes, and then sending it back to you, and then using electronic signature to complete your taxes. And that was supplemented by another product we have called Tax Pro Go, which does essentially the same thing, although you you actually do more of the things on your own on on this piece of software. So um, really did transform the business to help serve the clients, and it's still happening. To your point, taxes are now due July 15th, federal taxes, and uh, and who knows what the future holds.
1: Yeah, it's amazing that you guys were able to respond like that. That's that's fantastic. Both protecting, you know, the ability to file, but also your your frontline workers and just taxpayers in general. So that's awesome.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to pretend that it was easy and simple all the way. What was great about it was, and has been, when push comes to shove, and we, you know, we we were uh, immediately we were working from home, we we're doing all these things, trying to zoom out together and getting the right things working. It really depended on how how well can we work when things are really in stress, and I think that shows how good a company's relationships and leadership really is and i and i'm pretty proud of how we we've come out of it so far
1: that's great that's great well what were you brought in to do at h and r Block? it's been uh, a couple years right when you came in
2: yeah yeah so There's three big mandates that I've been focused on. The first one is fairly straightforward for a marketer, which is how do you advance the performance marketing capability of the organization? We've been heavily dependent on television. How do we create, supplement that with world-class digital marketing and social media marketing and paid search and SEO and all the other elements of uh, CRM and all those other elements that bring it together? So that was one material need that we had. client experience. So, so I managed the end-to-end, I managed the client experience organization, which has all the designers and the end-to-end client experience structure. And what we really started to recognize is that we needed to really elevate the way the client experiences our products and services, as well as our, our site and just the way that they consume us even before they buy the product in a way that reflects the modern transformational company that we are. And also takes advantage of digitization. So I talked a little bit about TaxProGo. It's a product that we launched uh, a couple of years ago, and then and then essentially relaunched last year in, in, a, in a bigger way with the material changes to the experience. And what that product really does is it allows you to, using your desktop or your phone, selecting the product you want, which is would be TaxPro Go, and then you get assigned a TaxPro through the system. And then the TaxPro starts communicating with you through the digital form. You can upload your docs, and then the TaxPro takes it from there and then sends you back the form, complete a tax form for you to sign for you to review and then and then we'll sign it or uh, as well and then submit the form for you so that that structure and that product is new for us and it's been part of our our You know, sets of client experience transformations. And then the third area is, of course, financial products and how do we create more out of the relationships we have and create value for clients in ways that we haven't done it before. So those are the three areas that that I I came in for.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. And two of those, I would say, one is bolstering capabilities, obviously, around the performance marketing, but then this client experience seems like much more of a transformative effort and not to belittle any of the other things that you're doing at all. Those are very important as well, but it's just that, It seems like it's much more comprehensive, uh, potentially cutting across many layers of the organization. I'm curious, what's it been like in the last couple of years driving that transformation?
2: It's been hard, for sure. I think the things that strike me about any kind of transformation, and certainly ours, is um, the way to get there is not through, at least for us, has not been through the big wins, but rather through a slow shifting of the way that the organization is pointing. And then things start to work and operate in that function. And then over time, you find you're in the destination you want it to be. And so for us, what that means is we are phenomenal at the human relationship. Phenomenal. You know, you go to talk to our tax pro. Our tax pro not only cares deeply for our client, but you know is very, very skilled. We have very skilled tax pros who have had years of experience doing what they do. And then you combine that with our ability to stand up digital experiences. We had the basis of, or we have the basis of, phenomenal, wow, world class, transformational client engagement. Part of what we needed to do to make that real was structurally create something that allowed the products which have historically been managed in different groups to find continuity and togetherness across the board. So the first thing we did was we created this organization. It didn't exist before, the the client experience organization. And we brought all the design teams from the various product groups and brought them together into one. So now we have all the designers together. We also have the end-to-end client experience strategy team as part of this organization. And so we've combined the two areas that can really create the experience. What is that end-to-end experience? And then what are the design elements that allow us to create continuity across those experiences? We also have .com in here, which I moved into the shop because, again, .com becomes the the top of the funnel for everything. And so we can imagine this end-to-end experience with .com playing a material part on the top of that funnel then you start to you start to see and reflect on what how you want to serve the customer in ways that are very different. And so by bringing these together and then starting starting to do work in that fashion, we started to see progress and change. I mean, if you look at the site today, you looked at it two three years ago, it's it's very different. You know, we used to be a site that sold widgets. Now we're a site that sells experience. Now there's obviously ways to go on everything, but just I think it's about making the subtle changes in how work gets done and how thinking is developed so that you start going in a particular direction and then allowing the, allowing that journey to happen, I think is the way that I've approached it. And I think that has been beneficial for the way that we've moved.
1: Yeah. You highlighted a number of things there in terms of like aligning the right resources together with a common, I think, mission or focus point and picking the right functions, right? The designers and the strategists to lead the chart or, you know, coordinate and lead the overarching effort. Is there, as you think about advice you might give to other CMOs, is there anything else? There's a lot to unpack in what you said. Is there anything else you would highlight that you feel was has led to success or helped you down this path?
2: Yeah, I think the couple of things I might add is, number one, this is very dependent on really, really understanding the customer and being the voice of the customer. And so having very clear metrics on what the voice of the customer is and having consistency in those metrics across the products helps us sort of find the right way of of having the conversations that take you along the path that you want to go. And so I think that, Is an important piece, and then the other is very much a a sort of an organizational relationship piece, because it's nothing comes from pulling a group together and putting them in one structure. Right, that's a tactic. Where the value comes from is if the organization starts to see that integration as something useful in their individual functions. So that requires a a level of partnership and communication that I think is ongoing and has to you know has is is a daily affair. And um, if I were to look back at my myself from two years of Ago, or one and a half years ago, I'd say the way I thought about this was I need to come in and transform this company. And the way I think about it now is I need to find a way to connect people to an idea that is long-term, that connects the company towards a transformation. And if I do that, that's where we'll end up.
1: <laughs> that's really insightful. Thanks for sharing that. That's uh, a more artful way of um, I'm saying that It's people, stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You try to change hearts and minds, not just process. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's great. That's great. I don't want to cut the H&R Block conversation short, but I would love to get to know you too. Is there anything else you want to share in terms of advice to peers? It doesn't need to be, but just curious. Before we switch gears entirely,
2: let's switch gears. I, I you know, oh, we'll go good. where the conversation goes. Yeah,
1: we talked to, at the top of the interview about this formative experience of schooling, which you may not have thought was that unique until we had our prior conversation. But along those lines, I'm curious if there's if there's ever been you know an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are
2: today as an individual. Wow, that's a that's a deep question. I would say I hope so.
1: i think we all do yes yes,
2: yes, yes. (laughs) yeah there's there's a couple of things that i'd say define me and i don't know why i don't know if it's my schooling or or just my habits or something in me innately i don't know but when i look at the way i lead as an example you know it's super trite but i'm a super believer in servant leadership and i i call it service leadership but the idea is exactly the same My belief is that the more that marketing and my function marketing, but really anything, has gotten more and more complex, the people that know the subject better than anyone else is the person doing it. And the layers of management can only get in the way because it's kind of like telephone. Like the person doing it tells the person above them what the information is and so on and so forth. By the time I, as a CMO, hear it, I don't really understand it. And if I'm making judgments on what I heard in that last telephone call, I've made a huge mistake. And so the way that I deal with it, and and I deal with it partially because, again, it's just how I have approached leadership since, uh, since really I started doing this many years ago and it's worked for me, is if I can find a way to put people in roles that are right for them, that inspire them that they know they can do with a stretch. And then I give them the full support I can to make them feel like they're doing what they need to do and and champion them. Then we end up with sort of an inverted organizational construct where the person who has the most knowledge of what is being done is the person deciding what is being done. And what the role of the senior managers and the leaders and, and myself becomes much more about understanding if the things that we are working on collectively are taking us down the path that we need to go. So I don't like to get myself involved in media buying or in paid search decisions or in the way that we optimize our our email campaign or any of the other litany of things that a chief marketer is responsible for. Because if I were doing those things, then I'm not allowing the people who are best at it and who know the most about it to be applying themselves against that specific piece of work. So I think that's really important and hard to do as organizations have gotten larger and larger, but I think it's really important.
1: It's a great point. And I, I don't hear many people use servant leadership, but it actually, it's the thing I describe my own leadership style with as well. So it's nice to hear somebody else that's out there using it because it, it can be hugely empowering to the right individuals. And it is to your point. Uh, what you said early
2: on, getting the right people in the right roles. It's not the cool leadership idea. It's like a definitely uncool leadership idea, but I think it's it's a great one.
1: Yeah, no, it's definitely like, I'd call it old school, <laughs> 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 but, uh, but not too old school. You know, we're not talking 1950s, maybe like 70s or 80s. Yeah, yeah. Well, what advice would you give your younger self if you are starting all over?
2: I think that when I was first came to the States and I started working, I think I always felt like I'm not ready for that. I got to wait on something because I'm not ready. That's for people who have had more experience or whatever it may be. And then recently, I've been having the experience of the opposite side of saying, well, it's, that's too late for me. I'm, I'm past that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I
2: realized, and this is the advice I'd give my younger self is the moment to do anything is the moment in front of you. (laughs) And you're never too late and you're never too early. So that's what I would really say.
1: That sounds like something a monk would say. <laughs> <laughs> or Yoda, if, if, if right. like you're into that. Right. Yeah, that's great. I like, I really like that advice because if you're thinking about it, now is the time, right?
2: Now is indeed the time.
1: Yeah. This is kind of a silly question, but I like sometimes where this goes with people. Is curious if there's been an impactful purchase of you know $100 or less in the last, say, 6 to 12 months that you'd like to share?
2: Yeah, this is, again, I, I'm not, I'm not vetting my answers on the basis of what sounds good, but what is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, that's, that's what I want. That's what I want, yeah. Practical.
2: Yeah. I bought a uh, um, clay baker, and it's changed my bread making completely. If you bake bread without a clay baker, you are missing out.
1: What kind of bread do you bake? I'm just curious.
2: You name the bread. Uh, you know, white, wheat, uh, essentially... Yeah, bread. Just loaves of bread. Well, not loaves. Yeah, loaves of bread. Yeah, round or or uh, or oval loaves. But when you put it in a clay baker and you shut it inside the clay baker, what ends up happening is that the bread actually steams inside, and you get this crust. And so, anytime you're buying bread at a like a like a real bread maker, you know you see that crust, and you're like, how do you do that? Well, they're putting it in a in something equivalent of a clay baker, and you can get that. You can get that experience by just using it yourself.
1: Wow. Okay. Do you recommend a specific clay baker that you have?
2: I think anyone would work. I have a Romer Toff, but I think anyone would work. A
1: Romer Toff. Okay. I'm going to try to look that up. <laughs> <laughs> I have to check, because I love crusty bread. I mean, to your point, like the best bread in the world is that like- For sure. Crunchy crust.
2: For sure. Get a clay baker. I mean, you could also put it in any kind of pot, but trust me on the clay baker.
1: All right, all right. I like it. I like it. Well, um, two more marketing questions uh, for you, and then we'll wrap up. But uh, just curious, marketers tend to be students of the business of things that are going on around them, and and so I'd love to know if there's any brands or companies or causes that you think others should be taking notice of, or that you follow yourself.
2: I had a thought on this, but I've really changed my mind. Like right now, everything for me is coming through the lens of what does the future look like in a post-COVID world, and that's just so. That's so meaningful to me that I just have a hard time sort of sort of stepping back from that a little bit, but that's that's what i'm sort of I'm starting to look at not only the companies that have to sort of reimagine what it is to be a retail business to reimagine what it is to be a uh, to have an office and how that works with uh, remote working, how, what it what it means to have community space and how that works in communities. I think all of those things are just so ripe for uh, they're going to change, and I just I'm just really curious about it. And I don't have any answers for people on this one. I just uh, I just know it's something that I'm deeply interested in.
1: Yeah, it is interesting because I I feel like as consumers we'll. we'll likely, I mean, I'm hopeful that this isn't going to last indefinitely. Let's knock on wood, collectively, everyone that's listening. But I hope, and I think if that's the case, I think consumers will probably habituate back to their original habits, but I, I do, I'm very interested in how this changes how we do work because I've, I've noticed my colleagues as well, you know, adapting to work from home. And there's definitely a lot of advantages. I mean, there's a lot of disadvantages, but there's a, a lot of advantages that people didn't realize, I think, until
2: now. For sure. So we used to have uh, Teams uh, in our office and I never used it because I was always in the office and I didn't even know what it was. And now I've been using it at that and Zoom really for the last month, month and a half. And I'm amazed how effective it is because I'm with people. they can We can put up a little deck and or put up a little design work that we're doing and then just edit it on the fly. I'm finding it incredibly effective for a lot of things that would be nowhere near as effective if we were in a room together, which is surprising. But yeah, you're right. I think there's definitely work change that could happen. And At least, you know, I'm just thinking that this is probably, you know, whenever we are, are sort of out and about, it's still going to be different for 18 months. So that difference is where I think opportunity will be created for anyone, any company or brand that finds a way to lean into it.
1: Oh, for sure, for sure, and I'm sure folks like your like your own business that has locations and has a interaction with people, you know, retailers, hospitality establishments. I mean, it's going to be a um, right now. It's it's survival mode in many respects, uh, especially in the hospitality world. You know, then it's going to be a communication challenge of how do we communicate that it's safe to inhabit our hotels again (laughs) and what are the cleaning processes that we're putting in place and and then at what point do we actually come back to sports uh, arenas and that's a whole nother transition what do you
2: think is going to replace the handshaking What's the new handshake?
1: I think it's the elbow bump, but I, I don't know. We'll see. Dirty Americans, right? Like, we have to touch each other. So, <laughs> like, like, if we were smart, you know, we would adapt Eastern practices of bowing or something. But no, no, you know, Americans are too dirty for that, frankly. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I say that with love as an American. But
2: um, I, 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 I'm an American too, so I have to say it with love as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it'll be it's be some bump. I don't know what that'll be. But yeah. Well, uh, last question for you. I was just curious if you have a take on and what you see as the their largest opportunity or, or largest threat ahead of us. I mean, obviously we've spoken about COVID, but maybe maybe something in general related to marketing.
2: I think marketing is a function in organizations that can be incredibly important or it can be really passé or gone by the wayside and what i mean by that is the import of marketing to me and and what i think is the biggest threat slash opportunity for marketing marketers is playing a material role in what is it that the business creates as a value proposition for clients, whether it's the experience, whether it's the product structure, whether it's the pricing, whatever it may be that you're serving the customer. Because the best marketing is going to come from the efficacy of that product or that service or that experience. And and the more that marketing sort of boxes itself into a space that says, whatever it is, I'll find a way to sort of talk about it and get it to the right target audience at the right time, I think we really miss an opportunity to really imagine the real value and leverage that a marketing organization can bring. And so that's what I would say. I would want all marketers to really push on. And that requires a level of marketing discipline that connects marketing activities to business activities and leadership that is more about enterprise leadership and less about organizational leadership.
1: Well, Vinu, that was well said. And I just want to say thank you for coming on the show. It's been fantastic.
2: Alan, thanks for having me.
1: Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm
2: Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today.